Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mm. <laughs> alive. <laughs> it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> Titterpigs, the RPG podcast. Welcome back to Titter Pigs. This is episode 15, and with us today we have Charlie. And Charlie, if I butcher your last name, please correct me. Menzies, is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, Menzies, uh, Menzies, um, or in kind of native Scotland, Menges. So it, it's pronounced differently all over the place. So, so oh, don't okay. worry. Well, I apologize. <laughs> but, uh, welcome to Titter Pigs. Uh, we're happy to have you. And mm-hmm. you are from Parable Games, is that correct? Yes. Oh, indeed, yes. I'm the uh, lead designer and writer for Parable Games. Sweet. Excellent. God. So, look so who we it's... got with us. What's that? I said, look who we have with us. I know. I know. And 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 just in time, because tis the season. Um, you know, I, I don't know how, how it is over there in the UK, but here, the you know, the, the, the scent of uh, spice latte, lattes are in the air. Uh, cable knit sweaters are being donned <laughs> and, uh, you know, sexy outfits to portray your favorite uh, pop culture character is currently being bought. And it's, you know, it's a time of the season, not just for Halloween, but for horror games. And that's kind of yeah. that's kind of what uh, what Shiver seems to be. But uh, before we get into, you know, what Shiver is, you know, listeners like to know about the people that we have on here and a little bit of their history. So you wouldn't mind, uh, you know what, you know, we'll start with. What got you, you know, and you know, I would assume your brother also uh, into gaming. So the kind of main area where we got into gaming of like just basic tabletop gamings is like we always used to play board games as a family and as kids. And our granddad actually got us really into chess as kids. And we always used to play against one another and our granddad. We never beat him. He was very, very good. Um, it, it still is very, very good. Um, uh, but in terms of like tabletop role playing, um, that was something for me that I personally discovered when I was 
um, at university. Um, so for me, that was something that kind of emerged when I, I went off to York to study um, film television production um and kind of like kind of gathered together a group of friends had a friend who like really wanted to kind of dm a session and we just gave it a go and i absolutely fell in love with it so i, I started with dnd 5e like kind of a lot of people um kind of have now um and for us it was very much a it scratched an itch to tell quite cinematic big stories um together um, kind of in a unique way, especially as frustrated film students who didn't have the budget to make anything with explosions or special effects. Um, if you're playing a bunch of fancy <laughs> heroes uh, where that's happening, that's wonderful. Um, so kind of I graduated, I eventually moved to London um, to kind of start working in post-production in film and TV. And all of my friends in the film industry got scattered to the four winds, some in other countries, some in other uh, kind of areas of the country. Um, and I thought well, a really nice way to kind of keep everyone together and kind of, you know, kind of talking and stuff was to carry on uh, playing RPGs together. And it just so happened around this time that I was kind of thinking about it. I'd won a writing competition, um, funnily enough, um, uh, uh, for uh, I think it was a it was a 500 word short story thing with Penguin Random House um, that, that I won. And it, it gave me a an Amazon voucher that allowed me to buy all of the core D and D books. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have been able to get into the hobby because I couldn't afford it. Um, <laughs> um, and I used that to set up a game um, with a, uh, uh, so I kind of had a writer circle uh, when I was at university, brought all of those kind of people in and we started playing again. And at this time I was running the game um, and some things started to emerge when we were, I was kind of running D and D that uh, some of my friends were finding it, a little bit tricky finding the rules hard and some of my broader friendship group um kind of suffer from dyslexia and dyspraxia and um are dysnumerous as well so seeing those big tables of numbers intimidating it was something that they that um are quite uh, on my side of the table i was doing a lot of heavy lifting to make the game enjoyable um for them because it was something that barrier to access was an issue so just on a whim i kind of started kind of being like what if i just home broomed my own system and had a little play around with something and we played around with it played a couple couple of uh our favorite kind of horror movie plots together and had a real fun time and just had this all in like a big thick notebook and it was one christmas i went back up to my family um because they're kind of in the midlands derbyshire area i sat down and was talking to my brother and my brother at this point he'd established a friendly local gaming store um seven city collectibles kind of up around the nottinghamshire area um and we were just chatting and I kind of had my notebooks with me and I ended up showing him the game because I knew he obviously, you know, was into games, like kind of selling games, like running games at his store. He was reading through and I basically kind of gave him a soft pitch of the game of just just to kind of talk about. And he kind of closed my notebook and looked at me and said, well, right, when do you want to make it? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, it was, it was just a, I was, it's just something I was doing with my friends. I thought you'd be interested. And he was like, no, like this you could sell this like this could be a thing i've not seen something like this in my store like we could we could make this do you want to make it and i was just went yeah why not like i i think and and we kind of just started this development together whilst i was in london and then i eventually left london and moved back north kind of closer to family um and then because was working in another job uh, but we were closer so development began to speed up then the pandemic hit um, and I, I was working for um, a university at the time doing kind of online education stuff in film. Um, and the kind of work amount was very scattershot and kind of uh, there were like kind of big areas of downtime. And we just kind of looked at one another and said, well, 
shall we make the push and just get this release? We've been working on this for years. We've been doing playtesting by that point, pushed it. And then the first book emerged and got received quite well. And now we're just continuing um, with everything. And that's kind of how Shiver came to be and kind of how I got into role-playing games. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. I I was muted. Sorry. Um, But, uh, but wow, that, I mean, that's, that's a roller coaster ride. It, that's that's kind of went from a, a zero to sixty in a few seconds. Uh, most most people, you know, it's like I played my first game and I was twelve, and then around in my twenties or thirties, that's when I made something or whatever. So there was this kind of like long period of transition. But you just mm-hmm. you know dove in foot, foot you know feet first into the whole thing and and took off. So that's 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 good to know that uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know pe- people who create these games. Uh, you don't need a foundation of I've been playing D and D since I was, you know, two years old mm. before I even spoke. Uh, no, it's just exactly <laughs> just just having the push and the interest is 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 enough. And I and I think that kind of says a lot for a lot of people out there who are mm. kind of wondering, you know, in, in like your shoes, of mm. uh, you know, I've got this game. Is it is it worth doing it? And uh, they they may not have someone like your brother to go, no, let's do this and push you. But uh, uh, it it's definitely something to where if you're questioning. You know, if this is something that someone might want, try to get it out there, uh, you know, try to push it mm. forward. So that's fantastic. So, but uh, yeah. so, so, so I love the creation story of Shiver, mm. like how it came about. But what is so for listeners like so educate. Mm-hmm. So this this episode is really about educating not only Scott and I on Shiver, everything about Shiver. And, you know, what other products you have and what's in the pipeline, Mm -hmm. but, you know, educating listeners too. So Mm -hmm. let's just kind of, let's, let's dial it back, kind of hit the, hit the, hit the foundational piece. Mm -hmm. What is Shiver itself? The core game? What is it? Okay. So Shiver um, is a setting neutral horror RPG um, with the objective being you can take any of your favorite horror movie books films, TV shows, any piece of pop culture that you really, really like, as well as your own stories, and bring them to life on the tabletop. The objective is is that you can play as anyone, anywhere, anytime, in any setting. So you could be playing as medieval peasants fighting a demon boar one minute, or you could be shooting off into space and punishing a xenomorph the next. That um, Because for me, it kind of came from my love of genre cinema, in particular the horror genre, and we hadn't really, I hadn't really seen something that would allow you to jump so wildly um between uh systems uh, between settings i should say sorry okay um and and kind of basically taking in the whole broad church of horror um whether it's slashes um or your ghost stories um or your kind of d- demonic possessions and you, it means you could play it all with the system mm-hmm. trying to make a kind of swiss army knife of horror um so that's kind of was the the idea with the um kind of the mission statement of shiver in terms of like the, the kind of stories that we wanted to tell at the tabletop on the mechanical side um i really wanted it to be um beginner friendly and accessible uh, to people who found numeric systems rather intimidating so this is kind of where the archetype die system uh, which is a unique die system that we designed especially for the game uh, was born out of so it's really really simple um it's a dice pool based system um, we have two types of dice. We have a core skill die and we have a talent die. Um, and they're all fully symbolic. And the six-sided die. Um, uh, yep, that's a that is a talent die. Um, it is. Uh, I have the dice set. 
um but yes so um so the six-sided die the core skill die um so in shiver there are six core skills um that are your kind of main groupings so you've got grit which is kind of like how strong you are your fortitude how resistant you are to damage um kind of how much you can kind of grit your teeth and kind of like push through a difficult situation you have wit which is kind of how dexterous you are how quickly you're going to react to things and also spot things that are kind of hidden um, or out of the corner of your eye. Um, so very much kind of like your reaction times and your kind of speed of thought, as well as the sharpness and keenness of your eye. Uh, you have smarts, uh, which is kind of how intelligent you are, how good at investigating, working with machines, anything that's kind of a bit more kind of complex um, and requires some form of deductive thought. Um, then you have heart. Uh, uh, hearts um, which is anything that's charisma based from both sides um, so if you want to kind of charm and smooth your way for a situation or intimidate um, and lie and cheat um, then hearts kind of covers both sides of the gamut um, then we start to drift away a little bit from kind of the core skill areas that you see in other RPG games as now we get into luck so luck is genuinely just how lucky you are as a person and how much the fates are on your side because for all of those people who have seen a good horror film um they do realize that there definitely is a certain amount of chance involved uh, with making sure you make it through the night um and then finally we have strange which is anything that crosses the line of normality in the story things that are a little bit on the weirder side the stranger side the supernatural side um, for example and is also heavily tied into how players navigate and resist fear within the game which is a, another large mechanical element because it wouldn't be a horror game if characters couldn't be afraid right <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um so using symbols um mm. obviously that's one element right that's mm -hmm. sets the game apart um what else sets this sets shiver apart from other horror games because you know, I mean, there's mm. it's it's competing with a with a litany of other games out there. So mm. it's you know, and, and, and that as also what would be most. I mean, it's not a generic role playing system, but it's a, it's a toolbox designed mm. for you to create whatever you want. So that would be the other thing. And, and you had mentioned mm. that that there's a lot of you know role playing game systems out there that would profess to be generic, but they don't really allow to easily move between mm -hmm. different genres as your game is so yeah and on top of that you know what mm -hmm. what what would make this different than than those yeah so to expand firstly what i think is unique about the die system um in yeah. terms of how it actually interacts with story um so because it's symbolic and because the symbols actually represent something with meaning rather than like success or failure uh it renders an interesting thing with the your dice pool then becomes kind of you can explore non-binary success so the example i use is like say you want to kick down a door for example so say i okay. want to roll a load of grit so i roll my dice pool and say i roll free grit and it's a flimsy door that door's coming off its hinges the more symbols i see the more successful i'm going to be however there is room to kind of fell forward in interesting ways with Shiver. so say i rolled a bunch of smarts for example as a director our version of the gm of the game I could kick the door, stub my toe and be hopping around, maybe even take a little bit of damage for my trouble. But as I'm hopping around, I start looking down and begin to investigate the environment and see my foot has slipped the doormat and there's a key underneath there. And I pull it out and I open the door that way because um, I've rolled loads of smarts instead. Or if I've rolled a load of strange um, and 
uh, kind of triggered something bad or something strange, perhaps a bouncer opens the door and a combat suddenly triggers as you're trying to break in somewhere. So in that sense, we call that reading the knuckle bones. Um, mm-hmm. So it's that the, the story, for me, the issue that I've always run into with numerical systems when I'm playing, especially on the kind of GM side, is that numbers don't really tell a story unless you're kind of getting a one or a 20 in D&D, for example. It's like either you've completely whiffed it and it's gone very badly or you've done something amazing and it's incredible. Um, with the archetype dice system, the dice are there to kind of help as a role-playing aid. So um, it can be there for the uh, games master, for the director to find new avenues for success or to move the stories oh. forward and also encourage role-playing out of newer players. So, for example, if somebody rolled a load of smarts when they were going for a grit check, and be like, you've rolled a lot of smarts there. Can you think of an intelligent way that you resolve this instead? Um, that, like, you, you use using, uh, like, different skills in different ways and moving the forward the story forward. Because I think that is one of the biggest things is that with the archetype dice system is narrative momentum. Right. Is that everything we put in the rule set and with the dice system is designed to always have consequence and move things forward. Um, okay. Sorry, so on the flip, I was going to say on the flip side of that, how we handle failure also does that as well. So when you roll a check and you roll a load of strange, that uh, ticks up minutes on what we call the doom clock. So in the game, um, there is a 60 minute clock, uh, which is represented on the uh, director's screen uh, that you can track along the top of a peg. Um, the way that the doom clock works is that it is a consequence for failure uh, for bringing about bad events that you would normally see uh, in a horror film. So there are 15 minute uh, kind of intervals uh, do, uh, that trigger what are called doom events. So every 15 minute marker, something bad's going to happen. So an example that I like to use is something like a slasher film. So let's take uh, to me akin to Friday the 13th, for example. So you've got a bunch of camp counselors. It's summer. Uh, they're by the lake. Uh, you know, all the kids have just gone home and they're packing up for the summer. Um, at quarter past, uh, they find out somebody cuts the power. Um, so they kind of go to go to the fuse box, find that somebody slashed through it with a bladed weapon. Half past, they're starting to get a little bit hairy. They think maybe we should get out of here. You go to the school bus, try and turn the key, doesn't turn on. Somebody's ripped out the spark plugs. Quarter two, they hear a scream. Camp counselor Kenny has gone. There's a streak of blood leading into the woods. You lose a key NPC. He can't assist you anymore. He can't give you information. He's dead. Um, and at midnight, midnight events are ones that are the major kind of like third act finale type um, events. So for us, in this case, it would be the slasher coming out of the woods and becoming a stalking permanent threat. So if they're trying to, you know, get the fuel and get the engine parts, get the boat going, for example, if they haven't completed that yet, Jason Voorhees or your Michael Myers is going to be there harrying them constantly, making that harder um, because they've ticked the doom clock up um, through as a consequence of their own failures. So I'd say those those two st- that those two along with the uniqueness of being able to do any setting um I think that's kind of the trifecta of uniqueness I would say for Shiva. I, I it's it's something just clicked as you were describing the dice system because uh you you had mentioned earlier when you were creating this game you know you you had referenced you know some of your friends uh you know dealing with dyslexia I'm dyslexic myself. So the, um, you know, the dealing with some of the numerical values and some of the tables within the system don't really get absorbed as quickly as other aspects, like with these, with these narrative dice, you know, you're going to throw these down. I'm immediately going to be able to disseminate the, the images quicker 
and make a determining factor as a GM based on that quicker than, okay, we have got six sevens, we've got two threes, two fives, let's check the table and refer to what this means. And the other thing that, that kind of clicked with that also, because the only other thing that I can think of in regards to that is like a, a, a Fantasy Flight Games, their narrative dice system for Star Wars. But these are easily, you know, in the same vein, but these also, again, would be more easily disseminated because each die is a specific thing. You're not just, you know, deducting and subtracting, uh, you know, particular images on the dice actually mean something. So that mm. seems to be an even more quicker and easier narrative system for, you know, these games that seem to be moving quicker with this narrative cinematic flair. And that's kind of what you want. You 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 get that in 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 the Star Wars uh, Fantasy Flight game, but it takes time. You don't just click with it. Whereas these seem like you know you know reading through the book. I don't own the dice like Keith because he didn't buy me any. Um, hey, yeah. hey, Christmas is coming up. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. But coming uh, up. they they are hard to find, by the way, out out in the, out in the wild. I think I saw seen them once. So you know you have, mm. obviously have to look for them online. But anyways. Uh, you know, each one being its own individual, in, you know, definition makes it even easier to see, you know, this is what's rolled up and, you know, all the everything's, you know, visually there. And it's easier to do that and come up with, you know, with these scenes. So, yeah, that's 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 fantastic. So, yeah, thank you. You know, because I've read through your read through the book uh, a bit and it's the layout is great. And, it's, and then it suddenly makes sense to me, like why why I'm reading this a lot easier than other books, because mm-hmm. it seems to have that, you know, that at least that um, awareness uh, of that for you know there's there's a lot more dyslexic oh. people out there uh in this day and age oh, i saw know. scott's bulb go off when you were talking it was like <laughs> yeah exactly that's that's, that's oh, how you know <laughs> oh, no, thank you for mentioning the layout as well because i did the the book layout for for the shiver books as well um so so like it is it was a i was quite nervous i think about like those being kind of the first books i kind of laid out and had to learn in design over the um over, over the pandemic <laughs> in order to kind of kind of pull the project over the line but, but that's really good to hear because it's it was like with the layout as well that was something i was really considering of just making text slightly larger spacing things out because again again from talking to my friends and also my own experience of role-playing when you crack open a kind of a role-playing rule book tome and you're just hit with a super dense wall of text there's there's a huge intimidation factor um there like and you kind of but my feeling with a book is when you open a book you kind of almost want it to be warm and inviting and you want to dive straight in and start kind of delving and figuring out kind of what's there whilst when you have that wall of text it it does make it does put people off it it does kind of cause a a barrier i feel to entry it it's it's something i i enjoy because i like lore dense stuff but when mm-hmm. I do open that particular type of book, I take a deep breath and know, okay, this is going to take mm-hmm. me at least two or three passes to read over this in, the, in order mm-hmm. to get everything. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the first page of Shiver and there's, you know, there's a beautiful picture, a small little paragraph. And then we go to the, you know, the next page and it just, it continues in how most people with dyslexia read. It's, it's these chunks and those are going to be easily more easily memorized and and absorbed than going through you know just dense paragraphs of just you know uh, 0.5 font (laughs) as you're trying to get through all of that so uh but no no excellent and and once again it's just one of those little subtle things where you know intentionally or unintentionally but sounds like there was a bit of intention to it it is kind of nice to see certain games have that awareness 
uh, with, mm-hmm. with people who have certain reading disabilities and still want to play role-playing games. And the only way they're going to be able to, to access mm-hmm. it is by reading it. So uh, it, it's and there's yeah. you know certain people who will gravitate towards that a lot more mm-hmm. than, you know, opening up. You know, uh, and this is no slight against my Glorantophile friends, but opening up the guide to Glorantha and seeing, you know, a gigantic <laughs> paragraph that just page after page <laughs> after page. But yeah. So anyways. Yeah. I I'm not even going to comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get I'll get letters. Strongly oh, worded we'll, ones. We'll get letters. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so I was going to ask you about Doom Clocks, but you, you I think you kind of <laughs> summarized the Doom mm. Clocks really well. I mean, and, and that. And that right. your de- your description of the Doom Clocks is really what's you know what's in the book, and it it describe the book describes the Doom Clocks really well. Um, but I wanted you to describe it for listeners because mm. I I like the Doom Clocks. Um, did did you borrow that idea from um, other game engines? Because I mean, obviously, clocks are used in like Blades in the Dark and some PBTA derivative games. Mm. Is that so, so funnily enough, it's I knew of Blades of the Dark, but I hadn't played it around the time that we were kind of designing Shiver. Um, where I first encountered it, I think was Elder Sign. Um, I think was so was where where kind of failure had some some kind of con- consequence of basically when it got round, the Elder God turns up. Um, okay. was like was was like a similar mechanic, and I was like, I quite like this, but it didn't have um. It was basically a countdown to just one to a creature arriving, which which okay. I like to kind of in a in a board game setting, right. um, but then started to think about kind of how it would apply to Shiver and more of, of where it actually kind of came from is I started thinking about um, narrative clocks. So um, Dan Harmon's quite famous for having a yeah. narrative clock um, system for how he writes sitcoms, right. although it's slightly different in terms of kind of its cyclical nature. Um, but I was kind of starting to think about that and then how do I started to wonder about, okay, so how do I take the, from my screenwriting training from when I was at university, how do I take classic three act horror movie structure um, and apply it to something that it can be understand really simply uh, by players and can be interacted with and feel like their actions have narrative consequence. Um, so that so that was the big thing in terms of that that they felt responsible um, for triggering kind of like these major like movie moments, um, you know, like kind of you know like your favorite side character dying, right. um, you know, something exploding, you know, the storm rolling in, um, the kind of like that there was an element of their failure representing that transgressional uh, transgressional nature of a lot of horror of that through their kind of interaction and their failure, they were generating the horror themselves. Um, And it also kind of like whittled down for me in terms of where it came from uh, a big ethos uh, that we kind of like developed very early on is that every role needs to have consequence. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that, that's why we kind of encourage the reading the knuckle bones or kind of having, you know, if you roll lots of luck, you can smash two luck together and have an extra success. If you roll loads of strange, it ticks up the doom clock. So, basically the story never sits still um i can't remember who said it but someone said that roles should be saved for tension um and i love that as an idea of that every time you're rolling there should be an edge of tension that you're going to succeed you're going to fail and then if it lands in the middle that there's still going to be some form of consequence that's going to move that narrative forward because the last thing that people want is a role you fail and then 
you're kind of sat still going well what next right mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um it's... and i'm trying to teach i have an 11 year old granddaughter who i am bringing into the ro- the mm-hmm. fold of role playing and you know trying to explain to an 11 year old who just wants to roll dice smash things and just mm-hmm. have a grand old time <laughs> in small chunks um sure. that you know you need to roll dice but if there's no if it doesn't propel the story forward, because she just wants to roll dice all the time. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. clickety clacky. Yeah. But I have to, I have to like ease her off the edge a little bit mm-hmm. there and back her down because like, you know, Hey, if th- there's no consequences, mm-hmm. pros or cons to, to, to succeeding or failing, I need you to back mm-hmm. down a right. little bit. So, so you're right. So- it, it needs to be, everything needs to be purpose driven. Um, and I can mm-hmm. see where I can see where your design process your thoughts are are mm. going taking that those cinematic your from your from your formal training your cinematic mm. if that's the right term the cinematic mm. training you've had your formal training and working that into the game you and your brother working that into the game design um with the um uh, you know incorporating the luck as as a not only is it as a mechanic but it's also a an attribute and then mm-hmm. the weird the strange element that's ticking the doom clocks and you know i mean i'm liking it thus far what mm-hmm. i right. i haven't read the entire book yet because i mean mm-hmm. i mean it's still it, i mean it's not a small book <laughs> um and i just got it just a few days ago so mm-hmm. um but you know having this conversation we're having now mm-hmm. with the explanation of the mechanical elements is really it, it, it's it's eye-opening i don't mm. i i didn't have the the boop, the light bulb go off like scott mm. did but um you know but i know i but i know scott struggles when he when he has to read some stuff and it's just like mm. yeah. you know so i can i can appreciate where like the design elements that you you have purpose built into this is yeah um we, mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't tell you, Charlie, but uh, this is actually a therapy session for me and my dyslexia. So we're going to roll into that. Um, <laughs> it is. No. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, I'll send you that, that tenor later. You're not going no. anywhere. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, right. Writing on Keith's uh, coattails. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I've got children myself. You know, my, my son's been playing since he was like I introduced him at about like 10 or 11 He's 15 now. They've branched out from, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, they're they're playing, you know, Morkborgs, you know, Cyberpunk. So and, and they're doing this on their own. They've, they've eventually moved away from me. I'm just there to run games for them when I need them, but they're doing their own thing. But uh, they have found out as you get older that, yeah, you know, you you just don't roll the dice to roll the dice. You know, there's got to be some sort of consequences or some sort of, you know, you know, payout in regards to that a reason for it. But one of the things that I found interesting is, is with that, a lot of the games like yours at least makes it easier to determine what these consequences or these these rewards are going to be rather than, you know, a one or a 20. You know, everything in between Mm -hmm. is just you're just lobbing the ball back and forth until, you know, something concludes. Whereas with these are helping the players and likewise the, the game master make it more interesting, you know, make the story more interesting. Like, you know, the, these, they're, they're providing you the, these tools to better describe something rather than, okay, you hit the orc, w- describe what happens, you know, and mm. nine times out of 10, you see a deer in the headlight. Uh, I, I, I stab it. And, you know, and the head goes flying. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just rinse mm. and repeat. Whereas if they have these, uh, these prompts, 
you know, these extra mm-hmm. prompts within games such as this, it helps at least those who may not be more, you know, well-rounded in improv and whatnot, or, you know, just generally just don't really feel like performing like that in front of people. It at least gives them a little bit extra to use and, and you know, present the these aspects of the story that they're trying to create when they're playing these games. So it's, it's, it's once again, props, very, very helpful uh, with that. So. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think for us, it's um, kind of two things on that. Um, your your story about your um, your granddaughter rolling again and again and again. Um, so me and my brother actually, so one of the things that came up with like the roles having consequence was an effect of this that we noticed players doing in other RPGs that we were part of. And Barney came up with a term for it that I really liked. And he called it the Zelda pot smashing effect. Um, of basically, if you put a bunch of pots in the room, <laughs> sorry, you, he'll, 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 he'll grab the pot, you'll grab the pot and smash it, and he'll grab the other one and smash it, smash it, smash it, smash it. Um, yeah. But I, d- I identified a check in D&D particularly, um, and fantasy games in particular, that have this problem, and it's doors. And it's why I use doors as an example all the time, because my, my biggest bugbear with, with a lot of kind of other RPGs is like, so players hit a door, they want to lockpick the door. Somebody rolls their dice to lockpick a door, it fails... They don't lockpick the door. Another player goes up store and be like, let me have a go. I'll roll and lockpick the door. And all of a sudden, you've got six people around a door shoving metal implements into it, rolling again and again and again until a DM gets so tired, they'd just be like, you know what? To hell with it. You open the door. You, you're in. You're in. I've had it. I've had enough. You want to go in. I understand. Or they just say, like, this door is too heavy. It's unbreakable. And it kind of forces you into that binary position of either, like, kind of succeeding and letting people right. just succeed um or or just pushing them away and feeling a little bit like that that's uh and that's sometimes i kind of feel like oh i don't want you to do what you're doing um right. kind of thing whilst with shiver the aim there was like with the door examples to so say it was a lock picking the door maybe your lock pick snaps maybe it creates a noise um you open the door but like the do- rather than you just lock picking it the door falls over and falls apart and you know draw some unwanted attention it's the idea that everything's going to move forward in some way or provide an extra clue so that people don't feel the need to repetitively roll a check until they can get what they want right. because when checks are there without i guess a pressing amount of pressure or threat um, externally, um, then th- th- there isn't that consequence that is going to stop them from rolling again and again and again. But we found by in- as soon as we introduced the doom clock, for example, and you're two minutes away, one minute away from a doom event, all of a sudden, someone's kind of going, they're holding their dice being like, do I lock pick the door? Can I do something else that doesn't require a check? Should I do this? Who's best at this? Who's actually really good at this? Should we maybe and 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 then you can see like players talking about it, arguing um, at times of just being like, who's going to do what because they don't want the bad thing to happen, and that's em- emerged a really interesting thing in our player base of that um, when it comes to Doom and the Doom Clock. We now have what we call doom marchers and doom managers, is what I've called them. <laughs> so 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 doom marchers are people who love the chaos of these horror events popping up um so they'll roll and roll and roll with wild abandon they'll play the weird that has abilities that actively tick up the doom clock so they can use more powerful things um but then you'll have on the other side the doom managers who are wringing their hands storing their luck desperately trying to take minutes off of the clock to stop the bad things happening so you have this in lovely kind of like pull and push that creates natural drama within that would be groups. Scott and I. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and, and it and it's it's great though, because it's like I've never found it to be like too antagonistic, but it's mm. this it generates like a nice um movie style drama where it's like you have characters who are different and want to solve problems in different ways and people butt heads and it and it and that just fuels the tension um uh, between the characters as well as in the situation as everyone's kind of a squishy human in shiver and no one really knows the best way forward and equal in equal measures like their solutions could end up getting them killed um which is just all part of the fun right yeah that's awesome i i like it I, I love that the way that conversation just got shaped um, with the, the doom managers and the doom marchers. Cause I can see Scott and I doing that. Oh, I, 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 it's a, it's the RPG cinematic equivalent of the person who's yelling at the screen. Don't open the door because he's in there. And then, and then the, 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 going, do, the, it, do it, yeah, do it, go in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said, you know, about characters, right? So I want, I do want to ask a quick question and I don't know if there's a quick answer, but so there's seven different archetypes in the book for mm-hmm. characters. You know, one is because I'm looking at the archetype page in the book, one associated to each of the the seven attributes in the book. Yes. Um, so, so so you've got the six main core skills that they um, yep. or, and each archetype aligns. And then you've got the survivor, which is the jack of all trades, master of some, as we've ended up calling them. So, right. so they can balance between a few core skills, but then they have a very different um array of abilities compared to the others that are all about surviving themselves or keeping the party alive and and making sure that everyone's okay um to quite kind of like leadership focused characters or cockroachy you know kind of slimy characters who play dead um that's kind of the survivor um but they're not allocated to a specific core skill but all the other six are yeah okay so with with that said and this being kind of a, a setting genre neutral set of rules or mm. toolbox right are are the archetypes the character archetypes do they work do some work better with certain genres than others or are they all kind of universally adaptable so i would say all universally adaptable and this was one of the biggest design challenges that we had and this is right. where the the ball was passed back and forth between me and my brother a lot in terms of like i'd write a rule for a, for an archetype he'd say uh that works for wild west fantasy in this but not this uh maybe like tweak this little bit okay maybe not this maybe not that um and, and so and kind of like refining the rules and shaping them until and then we just did the gamut test of where we just picked films books tv shows characters from various different settings um as well as kind of like mythological characters and stuff like that and just ran the gamut and just kept we just had multiple days just building characters again and again and again and again running through and testing to see if like does that feel a little bit off does that feel like it shouldn't be here um that kind of thing so i would say it works across all um elements one thing that i do encourage though and it's kind of in the book is that sometimes the phrasing of something has flavor because it like aligns to a horror film or it aligns to something um that's like kind of quite fun and, and is there to kind of give a bit of inspiration but there's okay. nothing stopping you from like talking to your director and twisting things slightly to make it work for the setting that you're in so i recently just did a um a game with, uh, with a podcast where i was invited on as a player and they uh, have been playing with cyberpunk red um, but they invited us on and they'd learned the shiver system and they wanted to do a cyberpunk horror story for Halloween. 
Um, so we were talking about building characters and one of them landed on, um, as an example, in the weird path, um, uh, there is a skill called natural affinity, which is more to do with it's meant to be doing like interacting with the natural environment, communicating with plants and animals and things that are inherent to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so he liked a lot of the options that were kind of in that tree, but he was a bit stuck on the natural infinity being like, I don't really know in a cyberpunk world, there aren't many, you know, there aren't many dogs, there aren't many cats, there aren't many trees. Um, and, and it, funnily enough, I'd used that recently with a, as a winter soldiers type character. And I said, well, I took that ability and I had it that actually this is a modern world and there are more machines. So the thing is, is that what if your character could just talk to machines? in some way um because your natural affinity is for what's in the world and what's in the world is that right. um so okay. it's kind of like although we may have given a specific example we really encourage people to squash and squeeze and hack the system to make it work um where it works for you and always make it a discussion um but the thing is is that, is that we encourage that level of flexibility um so so it's kind of the, i i'm a big i'm a big staunch believer in kind of like everything i've written in that book is not law um in the sense of that it should be, it should have some breathing room so you can tell the stories that you want to tell yeah i i i'm looking at the the archetype page and and i i'm immediately connecting the dots to the different archetypes that are associated in cyberpunk red and i'm just you know and i'm you know, I'm going to make a dad joke here. I'm seeing the matrix, uh, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the weird would work great for what you just described as like, you know, the net runner because they're interacting with the environment, you know, the fool would be, you know, a, you know, rocker boy you know, and things like that, you know, they, they just, you know, connect. So, um, yeah, that, and that's, that's a sign of a good system that in my opinion, if you're going for like something that is, you know, a, what, you know, a generic role-playing system, so to speak, I mean, mm-hmm. granted yours is still kind of geared focused towards cinematic core, but you know, most generic role playing systems is are the archetypes in here interesting to use in the different genres? Some do a good job of it. Some tend to just do really well in certain aspects, um, and whereas they kind of fall flat in in others. So that mm-hmm. that's uh, that, that that's excellent. That's excellent. Thank you. I think with the archetypes, what we were really aiming to do is that um, they're quite inspired by Cabin in the Woods, actually, in terms of how you have these archetypal characters that they're trying to fit into a horror narrative to sacrifice in a ritual sorry spoilers for cabin in the woods if anyone's not seen it <laughs> um, but 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 we, but but we added some bits to it gave some bits an update um into kind of what we kind of felt fitted really really well and we kind of realized that the thing with the archetypes is is that say you're playing as a warrior mm-hmm. um that the abilities and the paths that you can explore within that it kind of gives you a mechanic a, a specific mechanical way to play in a certain a certain amount but we also really wanted it to feel themey so the whole thing with kind of like a lot of cinematic horror is that there are tropes there are certain characters that emerge in every story i mean you could go broaden that in terms of saying with it being a generic system there are characters that emerge in every story there's the kind of ele- element of monomyth and and kind of these kind of character archetypes that appear Mm -hmm. so we wanted it to be broad enough in that sense that when you think of a fool um in a cyberpunk setting you're thinking of like kind of how that character behaves who they are like kind of what their kind of flavor is and then combining that with the mechanics that you have as well Mm -hmm. um so i think kind of what i'm trying to say is is that we wanted the archetypes not to be just looked at from a mechanical perspective but from a character perspective as well and we found so far by terming it that way and 
and by kind of terming describing them the way that they are it encourages people to lean into their roles um and lean into like those kind of character types you find in classical stories by mechanically rewarding them as well for doing that um and it means that you get quite rich and quite fun characters out of the box very very quickly um is what right. we're finding which is really really nice sweet i like them um <coughs> excuse me i like the flexibility um i don't get all the cyberpunk red analogies because i don't play cyberpunk <laughs> but hey what the hell um but I, I just like adaptability. I mean, I like mm-hmm. I like the idea that I can I can play a um, Sherlock Holmesian Victorian era <coughs> excuse me um, horror game, or I can flip the script and play like a a 1920s like noir pseudo pulpy uh, detective kind of horror thing, or a modern teenage investigative horror i mean um you know the the adaptability of of the of the rules of the character archetypes more so the character archetypes is what appeals to me mm-hmm. i don't have to buy an in particular i don't have to go buy another set of uh another book another expansion um just to get not 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 the rules but but character options and things like that just to be able to play in a different time period right so mm. um, yeah and i think that that brings us quite nicely to what we've been doing with our expansion content and how that yeah, actually relates to characters mm-hmm. yeah because um so it's, i find it really interesting you say that because that, that that was our objective of just being that like almost any character you want to play with the shiver core system you can but then when we started thinking about expansions it became a matter of um right where do people want to go where are the gaps where do people want more guidance or where do people want more options and fun things to kind of splice together so our first expansion was shiver gothic um and the thing that we explored there was providing new archetype trees that are themed in the very similar way using the core skills um but for playing as your classic gothic monsters because everyone wanted to play as frankenstein's monster or a werewolf or the invisible man or oh. and, and 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 those are things that do require more mechanical nuance in terms of how they kind of operate um, but are also very themey so what we ended up doing was um I wrote a unique um, uh, setting. So it's our first uh, unique setting book. Um, mm-hmm. So the first book is The Secret of Spire Home. Um, so it's a big gothic city filled with spires, monsters, vampires, death, plague, uh, overbearing kind of religious orders, uh, the works. It's kind of got everything that you want to kind of play um, anything kind of that's gothic horror related, whether it's your Mary Shelley, Edgar Allan Poe, or if you love Hammer horror movies, then you can also replicate that as well. Um, but that's kind of where the monsters came into it because for me, I grew up on uh, Hammer horror films, but also on the Universal horror films as well. Um, and I had a real soft spot for monsters. I always felt bad for them. I always felt that they were really the heroes. I always wanted to play as them. Um, so that was always like first on our docket. But the the whole thing that you're kind of saying there with kind of like core systems, like n- needing to be robust enough that it doesn't feel like that that's a necessary purchase. Like you need to have it in order to get something to work. Um, That's something that we're really kind of keen on. And it's how we've been thinking about expansions of looking at them as being modular. 
Um, so they're things that you can clip in or clip out whether you want, if you just want something extra, if you want a little bit of kind of spice in a certain subgenre direction, then you can. Um, and we're doing exactly the same um, with our kind of other expansions, uh, Shiver Slasher and Blockbuster have similar mechanics uh, that are this kind of modular element. So you could pile in as many elements as you want and layer them on top and tell a deep, very complex horror story. Um, or you could strip it back to the bare bones and use the core system, or just take one bit from one expansion, one bit from another, and just blend it together. And just to kind of using it like tools rather than, you know, selling you a car without the wheels. It's more like offering a spoiler that you can put on or, you know, you know, some okay. nice decor um, that that will actually kind of make the, your experience, your particular experience that you want to have more comfortable and a better ride. Okay. I like that. Uh, so what, so right now, right here, right now, what products are currently available, whether they're in physical print or uh, available only in digital, um, can listeners like go out and find right now? Okay. So um, start with stuff that's uh, out physically. Um, so okay. we've got the Shivercore rulebook. Um, so that has everything you need to um, run the game. So player side, director side, has a full beastry items, weapons, and even a starter adventure in the back the works. So that's the core rulebook. Um, and then we have the Cursed Library, um, which is a collection of uh, five different stories that explore um, basically various different subgenres. So you've got like 1980s kids on bikes, you've got a sci-fi story, um, you've got a, even 1970s stuck in a creepy cornfield, a weird West story. You've got a night and a, my love letter to John Carpenter's the thing is kicking about in there as well. So uh, it, th th that, that's a great kind of physical book. If you want to kind of understand and see some examples of how broad you can go with the system, cause it just jumps around and shows you, um, what you can do. Um, then we have our dice and our screens, um, which are also a kind of physical product that's available, um, too. Um, we have just released the first Shiver Gothic book uh, digitally, um, and it should hopefully be um, coming to print um, and be distributed um, kind of in the first quarter of next year um, alongside uh, the second uh, Gothic book. Um, so the first Gothic book is Secrets of Spirehome. Um, so that is a giant a fringe and 20 page monster. Um, it's got a 10 chapter wow. story. Um, it has full archetype rules uh, for um, playing as monsters um, um, as well as like a load of like lore, new gothic backgrounds and loads of stuff to kind of play around with. So if you want to play a big epic gothic story that has a fantasy tinge to it. That's the book for you. Um, and then the second uh, book is a connects up with that and tells a story that's underneath that city. Um, so that's the Disciples of Dregstone, where it is a side adventure where your players can fall down the sewers um, and become embroiled um, in a conspiracy involving rat folk that live in the city of Dregstone um, beneath the cobbled streets. And there is a despotic rat king, a rat resistance, um, and all forms of kind of mutated horrors running around in the sewers. Um, so that's the uh, second book, um, which has some mechanical elements as well of like, if you want to play as a, a rat folk uh, person, uh, we've expanded some some kind of rules in there as well. Um, so that's, uh, so the Cypress of Dragstone, that's not digitally out yet, but will mm -hmm. be uh, okay. soon. Uh, hopefully in the next kind of two to three months, uh, that should be being released. But aiming, I think, for around December, I think the digital version of that should be released as well. Um, yeah. Now, so, where... Before we get to the last part, because I know yes. you got something in the pipeline, 
Um, <laughs> where can where can listeners find those uh, current avail currently available <laughs> books? Okay, so um, uh, all the uh, digital products and physical products uh, you can get through our web store at www.parablegames.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, where also uh, digital um, versions are also available on Drive for RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, if you in the US, um, if you ask at your um, friendly kind of local gaming store if you would like them to stock Shiver, um, there are options for that. We have distribution in America. Um, we're distributing through Indie Press Revolution, um, as well as a few other avenues as well. Um, so if you ask about it, um, give them our email, um, uh, contact Parable Games, um, they can get in touch and we can set, and we're really keen to set up distribution links to as many stores as possible oh. in the US and get and, and and get it kind of have more representation in stores because we are aware of the size of the US that sometimes kind of getting stuff everywhere is not, is not always the easiest. Um, but yeah, but those are all avenues uh, where you can kind of get those. Just a note on dice. I know that proprietary dice can sometimes uh, make people a little bit on edge. Um, there is a entirely free digital dice roller on our website, www.shiverrpg.com. You can go on there. The dice roller is completely free. Um, it can remember your character um, and the state you're in. So if you're needing to run a session over multiple nights, um, if you don't clear your cookies, it's there. It's going to stay. And you don't have to right. kind of note everything down. Um, so all of that all of that works and it scales to mobile as well. Um, so if you are still wanting to play and check out the books but are struggling on dice um, or don't want to kind of invest in priority dice, then there is just a free option for rolling dice that's available to everybody. Um, I think that's ev- I think that's you, I think that's where, where everything is. I think so. You, you missed one thing. I don't know. If, did you did you mention the case files that are available also? Uh, oh digitally? yes. Okay. Oh, flipping. I completely forgot about those. Yes. I, I got a question yes. about that. Once you once you mention, <laughs> if you don't if you don't address it. Yeah. Um. Uh, yes. So uh, they're all available on our web store and on drive through as well. Um. So right. the case files were. Um, from our first um, uh, Kickstarter uh, for the mm-hmm. core game, uh, we smashed through a number of stretch goals, and so I started writing additional kind of content, story hooks, um, elements, and ideas uh, for what you could play with Shiver. So those are what the um, case falls are there. Do you have uh, Do you have a, a specific oh, question about them? I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is Lance going to be a thing as time moves on with Shiver? Uh, Lance is definitely going to be a thing. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's definitely something I want to explore. Um, the um, it is our um, supernatural kind of investigatory force um, that we kind of want to have a, a little established canon for. So yes, Lance will start popping up in more things um, as we as we release more products. Is the hope? Yeah, th- those who are cur- curious about Lance, get you pick up pick up a copy of the case file if you get the core rule book and. It's 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 self-explained in a single paragraph on on literally the first page of what it all is. So yeah, and it, I mean it, it, it it's and I'm going to use the reference just in people. Yeah, like you said, it's it's like like a you know BR uh, PD type thing, but it's got this wonderful kind of you know cinematic kind of you know ke- kitschy thing, maybe the wrong word, but I just you know love the just it starts in arthurian times and you know sir mm-hmm. sir Gwen was involved and and, and so and it, you know but it's due to the van helsing's research i just love the mm-hmm. you know the mashing together of these these wonderful things just like mm-hmm. oh, oh that's a little fantastic. thread that I, runs through it all yeah I, 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 I want more you know so yeah that's that's yeah. that's great we i really wanted to create a quite british um feeling like kind of like that agency because i feel mm-hmm. like it, it's it's always something i've i've desired um in, mm-hmm. in in kind of fiction so i kind of thought 
why not let's 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 make some old old uh, Arthurian knights or hunting monsters yeah. across modern day <laughs> fantastic okay so the last the, really the last thing we 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 want to give you a platform for we know that you guys have a, a new kickstarter launching tomorrow on the 11th october mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so here's your platform um if you want to you know pitch the product um you know obviously tell us about it i've been following a uh your kind of run up to it on twitter uh on social media um but you know a lot of listeners may or may not have been following it so you know let's let's all let's all learn more about it yeah oh fantastic um so yeah so october 11th um we have another crowdfunding campaign launching on gamefound mm-hmm. um it is a, another crowdfunding um platform just just like kickstarter um for for those who have not encountered gamefound yet um so the project uh, that will be crowdfunding is shiver double feature um so this is a project for us to explore two er- big areas of subgenre um within the kind of horror genre so First up, if you like the idea of a horror kind of RPG, but you're a little bit nervous about the blood and the gore and maybe it being a little too kind of horror-filled, Shiver Blockbuster um, is something that we think would be for you. So this is us focusing on what I call like tales of Spielbergian peril. So it's your Jurassic Park and the Raptors. It's the ghost pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's um, We even have a story in there that's... um kind of like kind of my love letter to um honey i shrunk the kids um because like as a kid seeing that film of being like i'm shrunk down and i'm having to fight a ant off with a matchstick is terrifying but also kind of has this sense of of kind of high adventure and fun and kind of action to it so they're more action kind of focused stories with peril that still use the shiver mechanics um on the other side for our more horror diehards um we've got shiver slasher uh, which is all about um, kind of like your classic slasher movies, um, kind of creating singular enemies that are extremely powerful, difficult to kill, um, and stalking your kind of players through different environments and stories. Um, so that's that's on that side in terms of kind of the subgenres that we're exploring. In terms of um, the products that are going to be available, um, for the first time, we're going to be launching starter sets. So um, we're doing not one, but two starter sets for both sides. So if you want to kind of have a more horror light introduction to Shiver, you can jump on Blockbuster and there's a dinosaur themed tale in there uh, going into a a mad billionaire has carved out a hollow in the earth and has made a hollow earth park um, and is um, kind of wheeling away kind of with dinosaurs and other mad experiments and it's all going to go terribly wrong um and on the slasher side um you've of course of course course, what could possibly go wrong hubris isn't a thing um um, and on the slasher side um you have uh return to camp blood where you're a bunch of kind of teenage camp counselors who find themselves accidentally in almost the plot of a slasher movie sequel the camp already having been subjected to a killer who is potentially not so dead as everybody first thought. Um, so those starter boxes have everything in there that you need to play, um, some deluxe character sheets, um, dice, um, a slimmed down version of the rule book, as well as uh, those unique adventures as well, um, all in like a nice premium box for you to store all of your stuff in. So if you want to give like Shiver a try um, and kind of have everything packaged together and you want to kind of pick a certain theme and play it in an evening or a couple of evenings, the starter boxes are for you. Um, for those who want to explore a bit deeper um, in those kind of subgenres, we actually have a hardcover book for both sides again. 
So on the blockbuster side, uh, we've got Legends of the Silver Scream, which is about all of those kind of stories. So your ghost pirates, your shrunken kids, your uh, big sci-fi adventure, um, hunting a giant shark in the ocean, they're all within that kind of blockbuster book. The mechanical element that we're introducing there um, is called Road to Stardom. So to lower the horror tension just a little bit more, um, there is a meta element to the game of that. Instead of playing a character in that story, you're playing an actor who's starring in the movie um, of that blockbuster picture. Um, and outside of the game, in the interludes between, um, you receive you receive like awards. You can get an Oscar, or you can potentially get a Razzie, um, and that will provide you like boons and busts in your next movie as your career as a star progresses. And we also have a little story that goes on in between of um, there is some spooky mystery that's occurring on the studio lot that your actors, as themselves, potentially may have to solve. Um, on the slasher side, um, we have a similar element um, mechanically that is designed to kind of encourage like long form play. So slasher movies, we know they're notoriously deadly. Characters die. Characters in Shiver tend to die, right. um, which is totally, totally fine. Like a good death um, is as good as a good life in Shiver, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> and um, with slashers, uh, so if your character kind of gets bumped off um, and you move on to the next story, what do you do? Who's your next character? Um, so we came up with the idea of the inheritance system of that if your character dies, um, they can pass on um, kind of some elements uh, to their next of kin um, who becomes your next character. They can be completely different to them mechanically. Um, they can get on. They cannot get on. Um, you can kind of have uh, this kind of almost like com complex chain um, of stories that kind of go through with different characters. Um, so you could maybe hand, you know, you managed to defeat the killer and get their machete, but you died in the process, that machete might pass on to your next of kin, for example. Um, or potentially they left an encouraging voice message. Um, but you also inherit some of their fears, some of their flaws, some of their traumas trickle down through that family tree. So you also get some of the fit, the residual fear of being hunted across your family um, by these strange and supernatural slashes. Mm. So what the story is there, it um, is a multi-decade story that starts in the 1930s um, with a prequel story. And then we run from the 1950s all the way to 2020. Um, so you, and it explores kind of roughly each decade, a different slasher in each decade, kind of almost tracking the history of the genre um, and providing an interconnected story across nearly a hundred years um, where you could start in the 1950s and survive and be fighting Jason Voorhees with his Zimmer frame. Um, or, you know, you could retire your character if your character passes away. You know, you can then round off the story by having three, four, five generations of characters um, having finally kind of defeated this lingering evil that's been following your family. So that's the slasher book. Um, but okay, yeah, and that's uh, that's that's everything. Yeah, I, I'm in double feature. I can hear several hardcore gamers mouths watering right now um just you know just the just the sound of that alone the the idea of like wait you mean i get to exist over in generation and generation during this potential campaign and and you know and have residual aspects and carryovers and mm. you, you mean i can I, I can play something like like you know pen dragon if but I, if i'm not interested in arthurian legend i can still have this long-term legacy <clears throat> game you were reading um, my mind yeah so yeah exactly yeah so exactly and 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 for us that was the kind of thing that we've pointed out to some people some people said like oh i like the sound of that but i'm not too sure on slasher 
Well, the thing is, like, there's loads of rules in there for kind of making powerful singular characters. You can just flavor them differently. And if you want to play your Arthurian la legend about a cursed family that's being beleaguered by demons and ghosts and constantly being picked off generation after generation, you can do that with the inheritance system. Hence the modular element I was talking about before, is that the inheritance system is designed to be plucked out and basically slotted into any other subgenre. Um, we just felt that the place to introduce it was slasher because um, we thought that would be the most that fun, the most interesting. With so with what... the go ahead, Keith. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, I, I was just going to say with with the with the emergence of the um, uh, the Sandman series that came out, and for those who are familiar with with the Sandman stories in the series, it it the stories of you know uh, you know dream takes place over generations, and of course gamers start thinking what type of game would i use to run a game that exists within you know the sandman universe well something like the the inheritance system makes sense because that takes place over several generations you know sometimes you know centuries of course but at least there there are there's connecting threads between them all of characters who either continue on through the story through generations of you know of kin or family or people who live longer than extended but you know, suddenly my mind is going. I I want to use this to do something with within the Sandman. So yes, it's it's it leans itself towards the inherent uh, conceit of the the campaign. But instantly, I'm just going. You know, I'm doing what most a lot of gamers do. How can I tweak this for something else? I want to get my hands on this now. Uh, <laughs> give me the tools. Uh, so, anyways, keep going. No, I was just going to ask. So, um, I'm my mouth. I was one of those guys that my mouth was watering on that stuff. You know, I was one of those, one of the one of the gamers Scott's referring to. Um, so on GameFound, what what's going to be the uh, price point like for the box sets, for the books, the all in um, versus is this a so before you answer, is this a pre-order or is is this like incentivized to to pledge you know and support the crowdfunding where like if i go throw my money at it tomorrow or, or throw scott's money at it tomorrow um <laughs> um or do i you know am i incentivized to do that or is am i going to pay the same tomorrow as i would in retail so if that um, makes sense yes and, and i understand completely um, so with the game found it's a it's a think of it like a pre-order at a kind of healthy discount compared to the retail RRP um, okay. for kind of waiting just a little time as we've kind of finished those books off, get them ready for print. And sure. so there'll be the the typical kind of, you know, kind of six months to a year kind of lag time, a ton of physical products. And that will, um, as we've kind of always done with all our products, we're dedicated to everything goes to our backers first before anything touches kind of broad retail um okay. kind of thing into in terms of kind of physical products um in terms of the price points um that are there so, so if you want to pick up a box starter set um they'll be coming in at 40 pounds um and usually i'd have to do a conversion but because uh if anyone's been watching the news and our economy is tanked our, we're, we're, right about about parody, so. So. We're, 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 we're at parity now so so right. this makes us much easier thanks for this trust um so <laughs> <laughs> so um yes so um a singular uh, star set is around forty pounds uh, or forty dollars, uh, and you can pick either one, uh, slasher or blockbuster. Um, if you like the full flavor of one of them, 
Um, so say you want all everything to do with Slasher, so you want the box set and you want the book with the inheritance system, um, that's £75, so you get that all bundled together. Or on Blockbuster, um, exactly the same. Um, you get the Legends of the Silver Scream and the uh, Road to Stardom mechanic and in that big book along with the box as well. We do have a special, which is the VIP double feature, which is for £140. Um, you get um, both books and both starter sets um, all bundled together. Um, and then we do have some other larger bundles um, that will be uh, revealed when the, get when the uh, game found goes live, um, which is pretty much a everything Parable Games has ever made bundle, um, which will just give you everything. Um, okay. is, is the idea so, so that will be um, kind of everything that's we've had with like gothic um, the core system the starter sets um, and the new books as well um, as a big mega bundle uh, which uh, which I can confirm will have a very hefty hefty discount um, yeah. for for kind of uh, committing to <laughs> committing full whack uh, to the Shiver RPG system okay. um, no, so, very so, yeah, cool. so, so, so that's the spread but um, one thing because uh, we've had quite a few questions about it so I'll just clarify this with GameFound yeah. as well for anyone who currently is playing Shiver and is a returning backer GameFound works differently to Kickstarter um, you can select individual items um, and add them to your pledge you can design your own pledge as well so if you just want to pick up the slasher book that's totally fine you can do that with game found straight away you don't have to pledge a pound and wait for the um, pledge manager at all um, so you can get that all organized get it ordered and leave it alone you don't have to pay a pound remember when it finishes a month after when the pledge manager goes live and organize all of that so so that so that's one of the benefits we found we're going with game found as a platform is that for those people who just want to dip in or grab one of the books or two of the books or like a little bit here or there um right. you can do that so nice. so don't worry it's not or it's not <clears throat> locked um the books aren't locked into bundles um it's just something oh, just okay wanna, yeah. um so, people, you, you so it's all the card out, then Yes, so um, so the so the bundles give you a certain amount of discount. Um, sure. is is the thing, but you can pull out individual items for less of a discount if you just want um individual things. I think the books themselves individually will still be discounted anyway. Um, right, is okay. the thing individually. I double check that with my brother, but I think it, it it that is the case. It's just everything has a blanket across it in terms of discount from uh, the retail ROP. Right. Qu okay. Quick, quick question. Um, are there retail options in this also, similar to how they are in others? The, the primary reason I'm asking is, is uh, you know, well, both Keith and I know people who own, own game stores near us, and like and your brother, I'll, we know right. people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we're, so I'm going to be contacting my friend. He's he's currently in, you know, uh, this you know, for those who are listening, he's looking to restock his RPG wall. Um, so Fantastic. with with stuff other than just you know, uh, the you know the big two or three. Uh, so I'm going to be, you know, giving him your information to see what he can do in order to get the core rule book. But are there options, you know, in this in the game found uh, crowdsourcing if he just wanted to get a couple of the, uh, you know, the the, com the companion books or the there or the are, starter sets? Uh, there are there is indeed. I okay. can't remember what the price point is. Um, it's just the game found in front of me. But there is a retail option which will basically allow um, retailers to um, kind of commit a pledge. Um, to kind of receive a certain amount of product right um but then from there that gives them access to the pledge manager where everything's discounted and they can order more um if they want on top of that as well if they want to kind of have a a certain amount of stock um okay. and then as, and on top of that as well if anyone wants to get in contact with us at contact parable games and you want to stock stuff 
um, mm. just get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with our distribution links in the US and get all of that set up. Because, um, yeah, the, the the more stores um, it's in and with the more players that people can kind of see and be playing mm-hmm. it in store um, and building a community, that's really what we're about. Yeah, we'll, we'll have okay, all... So I, I... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Scott. I was just going to say one more thing. Just for those listening, go to the description. We'll have all the links in there. Uh, but you, yes. I'm, Parable Games is also an easy, easily searchable. Just type in Shiver and boom, you know, they, they come right up. Well, Shiver RPG. Uh, and they're the first one that pops up. So sorry, Keith, go ahead. I was just going to ask. So to follow up on the whole retailer thing. So mm-hmm. if I want to run this at my little friendly local game store, which is about a mile from my house that my buddy owns, what scenario do you recommend is a good demo scenario to run it at their store okay so there's two um that i use at the moment like kind of most frequently so there is the starter adventure um that's built into the back of the core rulebook which is corporate rises which is uh kind of a corporate dungeon crawl level by level you're escaping a evil mega science corporation where you're the bottom of the pile uh kind of workers who are underground and something's gone wrong and you've got to try and make your way out, survive and try and save your job. Um, The second one is in the back of um, uh, the Cursed Library and that is uh, Mr. Husk, which is a 1970s adventure. You're stuck in a cornfield um, and you have to go investigate a spooky farm in order to get your crashed van uh, back on the road um, before uh, night properly rolls in. Um, So I say that like for starter adventures that you can run like just in an evening, and are very modular in terms of like how you can play around with those. Um, those two adventures are great for running in stores. Perfect. Perfect. Because I've been telling my my buddy that owns a store about Shiver um right when I got it. <clears throat> and he he wants me to come run a game demo. So um, <laughs> one of his on one of his weekday <laughs> game nights. So uh obviously I'll be doing that here in the very near future. So mm-hmm. I got some reading to do, but I appreciate the recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'll also help listeners too. Um, you know, uh, Scott, yeah. Uh, just one more thing before we, we we wrap. The one thing I want to point out, this is coming from a guy I've said time and time again on the podcast. Uh, I'm an art guy when it comes to RPGs. You know, it's for, for me and several people, it's the first thing that's going to capture the attention of most role-playing games books. And I just want to give a little shout out to Ben Alexander, um, who's, whose artwork I believe is just superb. Uh, the it, it definitely carries a bit of a, a Mike Magnola flair to it, and it perfectly, you know, just kind of you know um, uh, embraces Shiver as the game itself. So, just want to give a little shout out, shout out to him. Love the artwork, and it, for those of you who you know haven't picked up Shiver yet, uh, the, you know the the artwork is a fantastic complement throughout the entire game. Uh, so yeah, I just want to, just want to give a little, little bit of recognition because usually it's, you know, most RPGs have like 15 or so artists and I'm like, I'm just going to go, the other looks great. I'm not going to acknowledge them all, but since there's just one name right there in big, bright letters, I'm going to say, Ben, you did a fantastic job on this and I'm looking forward to the other work you do. So, but Keith, um, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so on that happy note, um, I just want Charlie, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your, out of your evening to, to come hang out with Scott and I, mm-hmm. um, on on the episode with us on the show and tell us about shiver tell listeners about shiver um 
I'm super excited to have my copy and the curse library. So I got some, mm-hmm. I got some reading to do and I got a demo to go run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it, well, um, well, thank you for having me. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. this is, this has been lovely. Like, yeah, honestly, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. We we'll definitely, you know, have you back on again in regards to, you know, if anything else that comes out through parable games and also like we, we have tell anyone that's on here, uh, if you'd like to come in and just talk about a different subject, you know, if there's a topic that, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, eating away at you, or if we mention something that you're like, mm-hmm. Hey, I want to talk about that. Uh, you, your brother, you're, you're, you know, you're both welcome to come on and, you Absolutely. know, and give your opinion. Well, so, oh, you know, you. the world can shout at you and tell you that you're wrong. Like they do to us all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, we get but, it all but, the time. Yeah. We call it fan mail. But yeah. uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, should I just give you my card now or I'll just, never mind. I'll just put it in on a game found in. So, uh, but uh, no, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this because uh, I, 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 myself also where the, the, the local store is doing a, a Halloween special event. Uh, so I think I found uh, the game that I'll be running there at the store. So I'll mm-hmm. definitely be giving Shiver a uh, you know a go and see you know how how it plays out. But I think it'll be fantastic. So you've you've got two converts here. Um, oh, thank so, you. Oh. Yeah, go go check out Shiver, everyone. It, it's it's definitely definitely worth your time. All right. Well, with that, we are out of here. Well then, uh, that was quite a conversation that we had with Charlie. And uh, since that happened, there looks to be some uh, good news that has come since uh, the um, double feature uh, of their, uh, well, it's not a Kickstarter. It's a, a GameFound. Nope. Uh, GameFound. Their, their crowdfunding dropped. And uh, uh, where are they currently at? Uh, current tally as of this little snippet is at 16.6 thousand pounds. Right. So they've smashed their funding goal, which was only 10,000 pounds. So congrats guys. Yeah. Uh, Charlie and Barney congrats. And they are working through into their stretch goals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm gonna, uh, take care of some, um, Financial stuff that I got to take care of, and I'm going to throw some money at this because I got really excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> I went talking to Charlie. So, oh yeah, no, I I, I hopped on uh, day one and, and and backed it. Uh, but the one thing I need to do is also see about getting the um uh, the core rule book, which uh, is currently on sale a couple places, and I I know they provide it. Uh, so for anyone who's you know not familiar with Shiver, like a lot of games when they come out with supplements, is you know for a discount price they'll give you the core rule book and the whole you know um you know 100 yards of it i mean it just it's a ridiculous amount of stuff and like charlie had mentioned just in case you missed that part um game found's a little different it's kind of a um you know pick and choose a uh, a la carte so to speak so you don't necessarily have to back a full package in order to get all of the uh little extra fiddly bits you can kind of yep you know, you know, pick around, you know, choose, choose what you like, choose what sounded good, you know, during the conversation. But, uh, but uh, congratulations to, you know, all, all of the, uh, the, you know, the fine people over at uh, Parable Games. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're excited. And I do, I do expect a, uh, you know, a formal thank you card in our, uh, <laughs> in our boxes when they arrived, you know, thanking both uh, Steve and Kevin 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would like to throw a plug in for they're they're not a sponsor of the show, but um, oh, yeah. uh, if you'd like to pick up a copy of uh, Shiver Core, uh, the current Core Rulebook, or the Curse Library, the scenario book uh, that currently exists. Uh, over at Indie Press Revolution, uh, both of those books, um, physical with a PDF of it uh, that accompanies it, uh, they're currently on sale right now. I think it's through Halloween, so October 31st, mm-hmm. uh, currently on sale. So um, hashtag sponsor us, Indie Press. Um, yeah. But you can you can go over there and get it. And those guys are fantastic. Um, I, I buy a lot of books from them, so they're they're really great to to buy from. Yeah, it it. It would be nice to have a sponsor, even if even if it's the little lemonade stand on the corner with the twelve-year-olds called Lemon Press. Uh, they're more than welcome to sponsor us too. So, <laughs> one, you know, any and all things to kind of you know help uh, mitigate some of the costs. Because guess what? We found out over time is doing a podcast is uh, not cheap. work. Yeah, it's work. <laughs> it's not cheap. It's time not cheap. Yeah, exactly. So I I now understand you know why so many people have Patreon. So maybe maybe hopefully someday soon once things kind of you know, the holidays get, get a little bit closer and we, you know, have a bit of time. Maybe we should do a titter pigs, Patreon. What do you think listeners? Would you, would you sign up for something like that? Um, yeah. But, especially uh, to keep us ad free. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what I do mean, you think of that? Yeah, exactly. Cause we, yeah, I'm about to go back through all of our episodes and start adding, uh, you know, uh, anchor ads, you know, you especially, yeah. but yeah, I know. Cause I, we, I kind of think we might be, you know, considering moving to another host anyways, cause anchors kind of, you know, they've got some, <laughs> some, some issues. So anchor for yeah. listening, you know, we'd love you don't delete our shit until we get it off your server. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> anyways, before, before we write off into, well, into the Halloween moonrise, we'll, we'll say we're about halfway through October, and you know, so the, the 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 witching time is is almost upon us. Do you, do you have any plans, Keith, coming up, gaming wise, Halloween wise, um, anything coming up soon? The only thing I got on my on my horizon right now, uh, work is as usual crazy, but I am gonna make some time. I'm getting my local band, as it were, back together uh, with my buddy Pat and my friend, my local friend Roz, and uh, we're gonna do some gaming with my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a little old school essentials. We're going to break out of our traditional fifth edition D&D stuff that I do with my granddaughter. And we're going to we're going to do a little throwback uh, and do some OSE. And we're going to play Incandescent Grottos from uh, Necrotic No. Cool. And uh, we're going to see how that goes. Uh, sh- my granddaughter's super excited to play. I'm just happy to get uh, two of my oldest gaming friends back together and playing again um after a quite a long break uh even before covid and then covid obviously uh broke the band back you know kept the yeah. band apart so we're we're getting back together um we were supposed to meet this coming weekend mm-hmm. and life happened again um so hopefully the following weekend uh in and around our delta green game that we are tentatively yeah. scheduled to play so well. <laughs> uh, in and around that we'll We'll play some old school essentials. What about you? What you got on? Uh, oh, on well, I got a couple things. Uh, so we're we're taking a a little break for from the uh, masks of uh, Nyarla Hotep campaign. One of my players is getting married. Um, I'm sorry, to hear and that. so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm looking forward to picking that up again in a couple weeks, uh, probably before Halloween, as they uh, have finally fled uh, China and are making their way to Egypt. And woo boy. 
Uh, boy has, is right. Have they left a the a scorched earth over in Shanghai? Um, it, it's one. It was one of those. It's just one of those things where you know how no matter how serious you want your Call of Cthulhu to be on the straight and narrow, it just so easily just evolves into this pulp Cthulhu aesthetic. You know, it's just it's now these these you know ham fisted adventures of of uh you know this uh, an italian mafioso and his crew uh See, i so, started running it in pulp i just went right to pulp yeah. when i did it yeah i mean i i think in hindsight that that would probably be the uh the, the the my recommendation for anyone you know definitely you know for for something that's you know covers the world with all the crazy nonsense going on you know make it more the mummy uh as opposed to uh something more serious because it just it works out easier um and then other than that uh we've got uh my my son and his friends have been begging me to run cyberpunk red for them so that'll be coming up soon uh they've they've made their characters they're already bargaining with me on uh stuff they can have you know hey i modified this this you know this pistol to uh you know i have two barrels you know are you gonna allow it so i mean it's it's that kind of stuff are you gonna are you gonna take something from charlie's playbook and um do cyberpunk red in with shiver um, no, because my, my son and his friends have spent the past couple of weeks reading the cyberpunk red book. So oh, I'm not okay. going to, th- yeah, mind. I'm not going to throw them that curveball. So they, they know the rules, uh, inside and out, which is great. But now they've gone back to the, uh, to the old books and they're going through there trying to find, you know, ridiculous weapons and, um, uh, cybernetics <laughs> and stuff. And so, yeah, and, and it, it seems to be always the case. It's like, will you allow this? And, you know, it's this ridiculous, um, uh, sniper rifle that does you know 30 d10 damage on one shot and i'm like no you're out of your fucking gourd i'm not allowing this for you know what would essentially oh yes you for- will because you're a sucker no, no, no i mean yeah it's just, cyberpunk's different uh but we'll see but i mean i'm not and for those who are, who are talking about you know well, what about you know he's, he's you know it's supposed to be fun and you know he should have you know his agency oh he can have the gun uh, you know, it's just that he's going to have to climb to the top of a, a you know, Arasaka Tower, uh, to get in and go through a bunch of trial and tribulations before he obtains it. So it's not just going to be, oh, you found it on, you know, the curbside of uh, of old Chinatown. There you go. Yeah, uh, sitting on top of a trash pile. Exactly, because that's how they somebody run else's detritus. Yeah, because that's they're teenagers. That's that's how they run your shit. You know, first level of Orpal Sword. Go ahead. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, good luck. Yes, and other than that, just uh, trying to decide if I'm going to be running something uh, for Halloween, uh, right before Halloween on the 30th at my friend's game store, um, or uh, we've been invited to a, a, a Halloween party uh, of some friends around the corner. So, and I may- recommend the party. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking kind of gearing towards that because uh, uh, just you know need a, a little little break. And I look forward to the fun. Twitter posts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey they're not too bad they're not too bad no, they've, they've always been entertaining yeah yeah we'll we'll see how they go but yeah i like i like to see what shows up in the mailbox uh about five to seven days later <laughs> always makes for great mailbag episodes oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> so but that's that's about it for now i'm sure things will change or be added as they occur well, fantastic that's, that's what we got rolling so well i mean there we are. I think this is, you know, a nice little segue to, uh, you know, ride this uh, particular episode out uh, into the sunset. Uh, you know, thank you all for listening. Uh, appreciate you, know, you following along to, you know, as we continue with Titter Pigs on episode 
This is episode 15. So let's just, I just want to throw this out before we, uh, we do mm-hmm. ride this one off into the sunset. Yep. We are, we are one year into this endeavor. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, we are one year into this endeavor. So oh, thank wow. you everybody for being along for this one year journey. Um, yeah, I got a notice on Facebook that uh, we put out our second episode a year ago. And because uh, our first episode was more of an introductory introduction yeah, episode, but our first real episode or yeah, or was a year ago. So we are releasing this episode at the same time, you know, one year ago uh-huh. uh, or on our one year anniversary. So, wow, it's crazy. Oh, wow. Jeez. And we've only put out 15. Well, we might change that uh, <laughs> as we go along. But anyways, no, I mean, it's our freshman year. I think we did good. We we made it over the uh, the hump. Uh, so we to did. Speak. Yes, we made now it. We got, the- uh, now we're going into sophomore year. We got we to gotta ramp it up a little bit. Exactly. Well, well so. hey, well, 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 happy anniversary, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> and, and same to you, Steve. Right. Well, so I think that does it. We are... We're going to wrap this one up, put a little bow on it, and we are out of here. Thank you, everybody. Take care. I am Frau Blucher.